It's Motorcycle Men! And hello, boys and girls. This is Motorcycle Men, episode number 55. I am Ted, and I am here solo at the V-Twin Cafe here in the corner booth. Uh, Of course, where it's always 72 and sunny here in lovely downtown Cranford, New Jersey. Hope you all are doing well. Hey, we got a great, great, great show today. Uh, I am very happy to have with me here in the corner booth, um, Jeremy Craker, the author of Motorcycle Therapy and Through Dust and Darkness. Um, He's the uh, author and he's from Canada and he's going to be here to uh, tell us all about the book and his journeys, and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's going to be a great time. So sit back, relax, get your favorite beverage, put your feet up, and enjoy the show. All right, joining us now here on the Motorcycle Men Podcast, air at the V-Twin Cafe in the corner booth, is Jeremy Craker, uh, the author of Motorcycle Therapy, and also uh, the author of Through Dust and Darkness, and your latest book is... Motorcycle Messengers. It's uh, it's a compilation though. It's an anthology, so I put okay. it together. But they're not all my stories. Ah, so anyway, so it's Jeremy Craker, and you are in somewhere in the Great White North in Canada, correct? Yeah, I'm up here in Canmore, Alberta. Oh, okay. How's the in weather? The well, the weather's okay. It did snow yesterday, so I just oh. got back from a <laughs> motorcycle trip to California, oh, uh, where it was beautiful and sunny, and then I came back to some snow. So, ah, smart man. Now, so so does that mean your riding is done for the year? Oh no! Um, in Canmore, we're <clears throat> we're right next to Banff, Alberta, which is one of our famous national parks. Okay, and uh, we get a lot of freeze thaw going on, so right. we'll have a few more really nice weeks yet ahead of us. Oh, good. Okay, so are you going to be? So that means are you restricted to the road, or you you do venture off? Uh, I mostly stick to the road. I've got two motorcycles. Yeah. Um, one of them is a KLR 650, so I can go off-road with that thing, but yeah. um, for the most part, I just keep it on the tarmac. Ah, okay. Well, now, so let's let's get right into it. Let's talk all about your uh, you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how did you start riding, et cetera, when, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead. Go and go. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So well, I was born <laughs> in Steinbach, Manitoba, uh, which is not very interesting. Right. It's in the middle of the Canadian prairies. Where they say you can watch your dog run away for three days. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's actually and uh, yeah, and so that's where I was born, raised in Saskatchewan. Again, more flatlands. Okay. Um, and there they say that if you stand on a pail and look really far into the horizon, you can see the back of your head. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and that's where I started riding. So my dad got I me a dirt that. bike when I was like 13 years old. Okay. A little Suzuki two-stroke. Um, 80cc motorcycle or whatever was that 13 something in that area yeah and i just started chasing gophers all around the prairies Is so chasing yeah. gophers oh yeah <laughs> these little uh, little ground squirrels that dig into the yeah. fields and cows step into the holes and break their ankles and stuff it's really yeah. tragic so oh, yeah. we chase them chase them with motorcycles <laughs> <laughs> Is is that like a national pastime going on yeah, never with the intent to hurt them. You see, right. they just always, they just dive into the holes and they're okay. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so uh, what was your first bike? Well, that was the, the uh, Suzuki, so, right? Yeah, that was that little uh, two-stroke. I, I think it was a DR eighty or wow. something like this. Okay. Was it a DR? I can't even remember. 
Uh, but it was a it was a Suzuki, a yellow and blue, um, two stroke motorcycle, eighty cc's. That was all. Yeah. I, that's all I remember. Do I ask you what year that was? Um, I can't recall, but it was in the it was in the eighties. Okay, like like late eighties. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, so so I then so the I have to ask you then is how long were you riding before you t- decided to take that first trip, uh, which was motorcycle therapy? You went from Canada to Panama, I believe, in Central America. Yeah. Um, the plan was to go as far as our money and patience would take us, and that's as far as we got. So it was really <laughs> not planned. But um, So how long had I been riding before that? I yeah. guess um, I started when I was 13, and I took oh, the yeah. trip uh, when I was like 29. So I'm yeah. not good at math, okay. <laughs> but a while. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Wow. But there was a 10-year gap there, um, which I kind of referred to as my dark years, where I sold my motorcycles, Ooh. and then there was 10 years where I had no motorcycle in my life. And I look back at it now, and I, I can't even imagine how that happened, and it'll never happen again. That's a sad thing. It is a sad thing. And uh, so the motorcycle that broke that dry spell, the 10-year dry spell, was the bike that I bought to ride to Panama. So oh, right. I hadn't been riding for 10 years, and some tragedy occurred in my life, which uh, I think you're familiar with the book. Some yes. A girlfriend left me and uh, I lost a job and all this kind of other stuff. And then I decided to run away with the motorcycle. And that was my solution. <laughs> so that, that leads me to the next question. You know, Motorcycle Therapy was your first book. Uh, so I, I, the question was going to be, you know, I, what inspired you to make a book of that journey? Uh, was it the depression uh, or was that the driving force behind the whole thing? <laughs> No. Uh, in fact, depression is a bit of a strong word. I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself, I would say, um, okay. during this one winter in which I lost my girlfriend and my job, and then I hurt myself when I was ice climbing. Um, so I was I was down, but I wouldn't say I was depressed. Okay. Um, that inspired the trip. That definitely was the catalyst to put me on the road. Right. But um, the reason that I wrote the book was because on this trip, I kept writing emails back and forth to my family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um this was in 2003, so like blog posts weren't really a popular thing. Right. I was writing emails, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of people said, "You know what? You should write a book." <laughs> and, I, and I thought, "Oh yeah, that that's a great idea because I've got all the material. Yeah. Uh, all I have to do is slap these emails together and uh, maybe clean up the grammar a little bit, and done." <laughs> but uh, oh, was I ever naive? I didn't realize how much work it would be to actually craft something into a cohesive you know, story, right? Uh, which is, which I, I think I did, you know, I guess oh, I'll let you be fantastic. the judge of that. Well, I, I like how you, uh, you obviously have a sense of humor and that, think, yeah. that came through in the books. Well, at least well, through the audio books when I was uh, listening to them. So did you, was that sense of humor with you on the trip? Oh, sure. Um, you know, I'm really, my humor is, as you probably gathered, somewhat self-deprecating and I, I do tend to take a lot of shots at myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tend to be uh, funnier, I think. The more angry I get, the funnier my writing becomes. So uh, on this trip, I was plenty angry. Um, it turns out that my friend Trevor, my, my riding companion, uh, his girlfriend also just dumped him, coincidentally. <laughs> okay. uh, it turns out that we didn't get along with each other very well. And so that's kind of the nature of the book. It's, it's discussing these complex relationships and uh, doing it with humor. All right. All right. Now, I guess... Your humor kind of like uh, morphed into a little bit of sarcasm in there, which I, it was sarcastic humor is actually really good, and I kind of picked up on that. It was I, I appreciated it very much, and I'm sure a lot of people did too. So, now what countries did you go through? 
and on that trip. And how long was the trip from start to finish? Uh, the trip was four months. Oh, okay. Um, yep, we left in October and then came back. Uh, we came back four, four months later. Okay. <laughs> October, November, December, January. It was like four and a half months. We came back in February. Um, we left Canada. Um, I went to pick up Trevor in Boys of Ain, Manitoba, which is where he was from. Okay. And then from there, we just went south through the Dakotas, you know, the, the states, the flatlands. Yeah. And then into uh, Mexico and uh, carried on to Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua. Um, what else is there? Nicaragua and then Costa Rica, Panama. I don't know if I listed them in the correct order, but right. those are some of the countries that we went through. Uh, did, so, you, did you hit Belize at all? The only one we missed was Belize. Oh, wow. That's a shame. Yeah. It yeah. is, but that means there's more to do, so yes. I can go back there, right? <laughs> right. Now, you left uh, You left in October, and you returned in February. Yes. Wasn't the weather at all a concern? <laughs> the weather was a major concern. Um, so we didn't really pick our start date. It was just when it worked out for us. Oh, okay. Um, but our return date was basically all about money and time and patience, okay. right? So when we got to Panama, if you read the book, you'll find out that not only was our patience with one another wearing pretty thin, but uh, our, our funds were, were dwindling fast too. So um, what ended up happening was we were going to sell the bikes and then fly home, okay. but that ended up being a lot of paperwork. And plus it felt a little bit... Incomplete. Like it felt incomplete. So we, we made the decision, no, we're going to ride home mm -hmm. and um, you know into a Canadian winter... Yeah. which wasn't a great idea. No. <laughs> so what we did was I just called my dad and uh, the same guy that gave me my love for motorcycles, you know, he bought me my first bike and I basically said, dad, we're coming home. It's February. Can you come pick us up in Texas? And he went, <laughs> yep. <laughs> he didn't even hesitate. <laughs> well, it was a vacation for him too, I guess, right? <laughs> it was, it wasn't, it wasn't because he like hammered down, made it to the Texas uh, Mexican border in record time and then me and Trevor pile our bikes in, and we're all tired from the road, and we don't even—we're not even really talking to each other anymore. Um, and then my dad's like, "All right, so what do you guys want to see in Texas?" We're like, <laughs> just take us, just take us right home. Oh my! So, now, how long did it take you to get back through to Canada from from where you were in Texas? Uh, the details are a little bit foggy now in my mind. It was, after all, 2003, but yeah. I think uh, it took us oh maybe four or five days, oh, maybe wow. maybe four days. That must have been an excruciating four or five days. <laughs> it was a little bit, uh, a little bit rough. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you arrive back in Canada to snow? We did. Yeah. Oh. In fact, it was snowing. Um, in fact, that year it was even snowing in Mexico. So oh. as we were approaching <laughs> the border yeah. with the states, uh, it began snowing, oh. and then it was snowing in Texas, and then not, not, not by Canadian standards, yeah, really, but right. uh, <laughs> it was snowing. Yeah. Now, so for that trip, for that first trip you did. You Excuse me while I take a swig of cough syrup no, here. Well, I got a little... well, tell us about what you are drinking because we like to talk about <clears> these things. Well, I've got a little cough and cold going on here right now. So I'm uh, drinking Canadian cough syrup, a.k.a. <laughs> what we would call rye whiskey. And I'm drinking uh, Canadian rye whiskey. Right oh, now. wow. That's, yep. that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm wimping out a real strong biker drink. Not chocolate milk, but it is uh, iced tea. That's oh, I'm no. Doing. No wimping out at all. This is just to clear up the, the just congestion <laughs> is it working no you don't care but i'm enjoying it it's <laughs> okay. a it's a remedy that i enjoy <laughs> i you know what i like especially is that uh while most people would drink it out of a glass you're just going right to for the bottle 
Uh, I don't have time for a glass. <laughs> pouring right. and mixing things. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. So anyway, so for that for that first trip, you 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 used the, you decided on mm-hmm. picking the uh, the Kawasaki KLR six fifty, and you jokingly described being able to fix it with a hammer and duct tape. Yeah. And the, so did the KLR provide you with the experience uh, you were hoping for, or did you question your decision later on in the trip? The KLR, listen, you can say so many negative things about that bike, and I do too. Uh, you know, it's ugly, it's underpowered, it's whatever. It's, you can just go on and on about the, the downfalls of this bike. But it is reliable, it is solid, and you can do anything with it. It'll take you anywhere. So I actually consider myself a KLR 650 fan. Um, if, you know, if I had lots more money, I would probably select, uh, a different bike or maybe I would have a fleet of bikes, but I think I'd always have a KLR in the stable, to be wow. honest. You know, a friend of mine, uh, Rich from the Loud Pipes podcast, he just sold his KLR 650. Right. See? So well, it's a popular bike. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the one that I have now, I don't get really attached to them. Like I love the bike, but yeah. I don't love them as individuals. So I will probably sell my current ride. And buy another KLR650 or something else. Ah, so you're addicted. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Trevor, your riding partner, he had the same bike. Yep. He waited to figure out which bike that I bought so that he could buy the identical machine. And then that way we would have, like, you know, we could share parts and we could swap things over like that. So Now, was his experience with that bike the same as yours? No, he had, in fact, he didn't have his street bike license. Oh. So... He, he grew up on dirt bikes. Like, he knew how to ride a motorcycle. He used to be a racer, actually. Mm-hmm. But he just never bothered getting his motorcycle license for the road. Right, okay. So, um, not only did he have to buy a motorcycle, wrap up what he was doing for his work, uh, he had to also get his license <laughs> and, uh, and prep the bike and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and Trevor, um, you know, if you read Motorcycle Therapy, you see that I, there again, I say a couple of things that are not necessarily positive about my riding partner, but I do love the guy. It's kind of like a, kind of like a KLR 650. Yeah. <laughs> I said a bunch of mean things about the KLR, but I'm actually a fan. So Same you... thing with, with Trevor, and I think it comes through in the book um, that it's all friendly kidding, yeah. um, but there was some tension between us for sure. Oh, yeah. So it, it, it may have started out a love-hate relationship kind of sort of, would you say? Well... Yeah, I mean, we traveled together 10 years prior to this. So, like, in 1995, we were in Europe together. We did a bunch of kind of light mountaineering stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, and some travel, and we got along well. So, 10 years goes by, almost, and that's when both of our girlfriends, like, dump us at the same time. And uh, I called them up and said, I'm going to, like, south. You want to (laughs) come? And he was like, yep. So, we didn't didn't really know each other that well, which was... A problem. So, but that love hate relationship also applied to the KLR. Yeah, I mean, I actually just thought of that now. Like, I didn't use that as a metaphor in the book, and I've never said that in any other interview. But <laughs> in a way, I feel about Trevor like I feel about the KLR six hundred and fifty. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, so now this route that you used or yeah. you took was that well thought out or did you just kind of improvise it as you're going nothing was well thought out we didn't plan any of this okay uh it was really an impulse trip um just bought the bikes got together all our you know piggy banks and smashed them and took out all the little coins and stuff and we just went as far as we could so there's a picture of us actually uh the night before we leave 
looking at a map of Central America. <laughs> Like almost for the first time. <laughs> so no, there was no forethought going into this at all. No, we just no. Oh. And we hadn't even heard of like you. You may be familiar with the website uh, Horizons Unlimited. I have Maybe. heard of it. I've never been to it. No. Okay, so that's a website that's it's really it's a good resource for travelers and motorcyclists. They can find out about border crossings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. It's exhaustive and it's wonderful, but we hadn't even heard of that. So we actually did all of this planning and all of this. Well, planning, it's not the right word. We did all this prep um, maybe without using the, the proper resources. Yeah, maybe that's not the word either. No, prep isn't the right word either. So, so you looked at maps is what you did. We looked at a map before we left, yeah, Boys of A Manitoba. Now, did you have the, uh, well, 2003, I guess you did, but you, you had the online resources to use like Google Maps and things like that. Did you, did you apply any of that to the strip? No. No. Now, did you, <laughs> well, did you have cell phones or anything like that with you on the trip? No, 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 we were, we were really ill prepared. Like I didn't even have like now after I've been riding again for another 10 years, um, I'm pretty, pretty careful with motorcycle gear and stuff. And, and I've got the right clothing and the boots and all that. But then I, I had none of that either. So it was just a sweater with a light rain jacket and, uh, and like <laughs> gloves that I bought at Mark's work warehouse or something like oh, that. Okay. So I was like, yeah. none of the gear all the time, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Well, and even the book cover, uh, Motorcycle Therapy, it's a picture of me riding right. with no helmet. Yeah. Which is, by the way, is a fantastic picture. Thank it's, you. It's, I got, a, it's yeah. a great picture. I got lucky with that one because there again, it was digital photography did exist, yes. but I didn't have a digital camera. So I was actually shooting that with a point and shoot with slide film. So I took like 10 shots, but I couldn't tell if they were any good until four months later. <laughs> well, it's a good picture. It came out. Thank you. So Thank you. Now the riding, tell me about the riding. How were the roads? Was the traveling and how did the bikes handle? Uh, the roads are fantastic. We stuck, we stuck mainly to pavement um, with the occasional foray onto a dirt road or gravel here and there. Yeah. So uh, the KLRs weren't even, they didn't even really enter into their element, right? The KLR is great on a gravel road or like some, some logging trail or whatever. Right. We were mostly on the highway and, mm -hmm. and the roads were pretty decent. The occasional pothole and you have to dodge tarantulas down there <laughs> and, uh, really? and snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, I actually altered the course of a motor vehicle, my motorcycle, because I didn't want to hit a spider. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is it that obvious? Yeah. They were crawling across the road <laughs> and there was one. I was like, what is that? It looks like a boot belongs to a small child or something. <laughs> It was a spider. Now, in what country was this in? I believe that was Mexico. That was in Mexico. No kidding. Now, Southern you, Mexico. Now, I've heard about monkeys in Costa Rica. Did you run across that? Yeah, um, we did. We ran into some crazy monkey situations. The weirdest one was in Guatemala, though, actually. Me oh, and Trevor, okay. we were hiking some ruins, and um, we heard in the forest this horrible sound it, it it was eerie bone chilling sound it's hard to explain actually and and we couldn't place it and then finally i realized oh i think i watched the national geographic program on this thing these are howler monkeys oh okay and they emit this this howl <laughs> uh they're they're aptly named these monkeys as it turns out and it sounded very frightening but i couldn't convince trevor that i knew what that sound was so okay. he kept trying to guess like Maybe it's construction. Uh, nope, that's not construction. Maybe it's like some kids rehearsing a weird play. I'm like, it's howler monkeys. Howler monkeys. And that was one of our first arguments where 
I was so adamant. I knew what it was. He wouldn't listen. So we actually marched into the jungle to find these things. And uh, we, we eventually found them. They were howler monkeys. Wow. So now you were hiking. In, aside from all the riding you were doing, how many hours a day were you riding? Well, we ended up, it fluctuated, but we ended up being quite often about a seven or eight hours of riding, which really? is quite quite a bit, yeah. but we only covered, um, you know, 300 miles. Okay. So it wasn't a huge distance, but uh, we took our time. We we did eat at a lot of restaurants and, and street food and things like that. So yeah. we weren't. We weren't constantly rolling. All right, so, so you would ride all this distance, and then you'd decide to go hiking in the jungle to go look at ruins. Yeah, well, that was a rest day. So oh, we, had a, a, we had a okay. few of those as well. <laughs> you had a few rest days. Okay. <laughs> now, did you camp at all, or were you just... Yeah. We did, actually. We camped one day, not very much. We carried all of our camping gear. Uh, most of it went unused but we did uh, camp in the states one day okay uh behind a truck stop we didn't want to pay for camping so we just <laughs> pitched our tents behind there and then the next time we camped because hostels were so cheap yeah. we camped in um mexico but it was on a private beach so it was like oh. this gated community run by wealthy people hmm. and they saw us uh, two dirt bag motorcyclists riding along and they said you know come camp here it's a secure beach you won't be bothered and me and Trevor had the whole beach oh, to ourselves. Cool. It would have been incre incredibly romantic had there been female company there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that didn't quite work out. <laughs> no, but it was still fun. We went swimming and <laughs> took some photos and stuff. It was That's, good. Uh, so, so as far as goes, your all this hiking you did, I, I hadn't even considered asking any questions about this. But well, what was the uh, the coolest thing you saw when you're doing all that hiking? Uh, the coolest thing was we hiked to the top of. Um, well, we hiked to a vantage point from which we could look down upon an active volcano. Wow. And that, that was in Guatemala. So that was uh, that was actually a pretty big and steep hike up through the jungle. Uh, we mm -hmm. went with a group of people and um, must have been a six-hour climb, I guess, something like that. And we did it at, at daybreak. Wow. And, um, and yeah, looked down this <laughs> volcano. It was, it was pretty cool. And it was an active volcano? Yeah. It what? was spewing ash into the into the sky, and we were far enough away that we were safe. Yeah. Uh, but you could, you know, you could see the eruption, and then a few seconds later, you'd hear it and the rocks kind of tumbling down the mountain and stuff like that. Wow! That was cool. Wow! So, so eight hours in the saddle wasn't enough, for you guys. You had to hike for six hours on top of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not so athletic anymore, but back uh, ten years ago when I did that trip, I was uh, a little bit fitter. <laughs> and uh, and Trevor was fit too, so we did some scuba diving on this trip, and we did some uh, wow, nice some hiking. Yeah. Oh, how about and, that? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, scuba diving. Still, I'm okay. going to Mexico next month to go diving in Baja. Oh, are you riding? Not this time. I'm afraid I'm going to have to fly. Oh, but I'm, but I'm going to hang out with some people in the Baja that have motorcycles. Oh, there you go. So yeah, so I will actually get to do a little riding. Great. Now you had. Obviously, uh, from reading the book, or actually listening to the book, there were mm. obvious language barriers. Now, did that add to the journey, or did it just make things interesting? Well, yeah. we One of our goals was to learn Spanish while we were down there, and we didn't study nearly enough okay. because, like I say, it was an impulse trip. Okay. So um, all the way from the Mexican border, all the way down through Mexico, weeks and weeks, then into Guatemala – Whenever I wanted to tell people that I was hot, I actually told them that I was horny. Perfect. 
So I got a lot of strange looks uh, all the way through. All the way through. When did you, I mean, did, did at all you at any point actually learn any? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we took uh, some Spanish classes actually in Guatemala. That was the, where we, went, we hiked up to the volcano. Yeah. We spent about um, 10 days or a week or 10 days or something learning Spanish there. Really? So, I yeah. <laughs> no, I just I'm... need to know how to say I'm hot and not I'm horny. And, and not, you... uh, not offend anybody, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, here these guys are on this motorcycle trip, and, and yet they stopped to, to go to school for a little while. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was more of a – it wasn't exactly a motorcycle trip. It just felt like we were off exploring. Okay. Um, it felt like we were kids with uh, you know a knapsack on our shoulders, and we're just going somewhere. Now, was, was there any, of all the places you went through, all the countries you passed through going through Central America, mm. was any of them, and any one of those stick out in your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, they all stick out in my mind, actually, for different reasons, and I guess that might be a little bit cliche to say, but it is true. Um, I can't pick a favorite exactly, but I, I will tell you that I went to um, this this island in Nicaragua, and it's on Lago de Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't pronounce it but it, it looks like it's called Amitepi <laughs> and it's these two volcanoes that have grown together oh. connected by this little isthmus of land in between them and um, yeah that that island was amazing because it was ringed by a gravel road in a sort of a figure eight shape okay and uh, there the KLRs just shined so oh, we, wow. we went bombing around and I assume went, they, I went assume, some hikes well I assume they yeah. had a ferry that ran back and forth to that correct yeah they grew recall. bananas and coffee and stuff on this island oh, wow and, uh, there's not much else there, but just a few little hostels and things like that. So that was pretty rad. Yeah. And then going into Panama, we actually went into uh, the Darien province. Uh-huh. So not the Darien, the famous Darien Gap per se, okay. where it was really dangerous. But we went into the Darien province and spent some time in uh, in the jungle there with these um, natives, wow. native villagers. Yeah. Oh, wow. So now... <laughs> I want to talk about meals, about your eating. Now, right. <laughs> apparently, um, you're, you're, you're quite fond of rice and eggs. Well, I'm a culinary idiot. Um, <laughs> so I can't cook to save my life. Um, Trevor can cook, and he yeah. can fix motorcycles, too. And I, I'm, a pro, I'm a creature of habit. So whenever we would stop, we try to figure out, okay, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? And if we couldn't find some, some cool-looking street food nearby, we would have to cook. And I would always go to rice and eggs. That was my go-to. It was easy. There was protein there. And uh, it drove Trevor nuts uh-huh. because he kept on asking, like, so, you know, what do you think we should have tonight? <laughs> In my head, I was just basically counting to 10 before I said rice and eggs. <laughs> I just wanted to make it look like I was thinking about different options. And Trevor was just waiting for me to say it. And then invariably I did. Yeah. And uh, we uh, ate a lot of rice and eggs. Uh, about how many days do you think you ate rice and eggs? <laughs> oh, it's hard to count, but I haven't I haven't lost the appetite for it. It's oh, really? Very, <laughs> very tasty, yeah. Now, uh, well, I, at any point on this trip, did you feel that your uh, your your riding ability was in question? No, actually, it was pretty simple riding. There were a few oh, times okay. where um, we had to do some, well somewhat dangerous and very illegal maneuvers like riding through a ditch and then exiting on a one-way street going the wrong oh, direction yes, or whatever yes yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but that wasn't riding skill so much as just 
brazen like disregard for the law. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now uh, on your way back to Canada, did yeah. you ask yourself or or question yourself? Did you get out of that trip what you were hoping to get out of it? Well, I think I talk about this in the book a little bit. Um, I didn't, because it was such a whirlwind experience and because we hit it so quickly with so little preparation, I can't really say that I was hoping to get anything out of this trip. Um, I was just trying to avoid some uh, lethargy and some sadness, I guess, in Canada. Um, So I definitely got that, but it was when I was writing the book that I really pieced it together and really had some time to reflect and... um, I think I did learn some valuable life lessons, but it was while I was writing. Oh, uh, but you, 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 so the, but you were pleased the with the whole, the whole. You were pleased with the whole trip and the riding experience and all that, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Would you and, do it again? Uh, I would absolutely do it again. In fact, I've got a 1982 Honda CB750 Custom, so mm-hmm. I've got this old motorcycle. I'm restoring it. Uh, I bought it when I was 19. Mm-hmm. It's it's got a story all its own. Anyway, I'm restoring it now. And I would like to take that thing to Argentina. So Really? Yeah. It's That's... definitely not the right motorcycle to take. <laughs> oh, I was going to say. <laughs> and I am a horrible mechanic. I'm as bad with tools as I am with a set of pots and pans in the kitchen. Okay. So you, so far it's adding up to be a pretty bad idea. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible idea, but I want to do it. It's it's a, rather ambitious. You, you, yeah. you might not want, you might want to maybe just for the hell of it, maybe just consider maybe a newer bike. <laughs> No, it's got to be this bike because I'll tell you, this machine, like I say, I bought it when I was 19. Um, I sold it to my dad when I needed money and I had to move out. Okay. And that's when the 10 years, by the way, of no motorcycles happened. Oh. When I, when I sold that motorcycle to my dad. My dad, he rides it all over North America. He does all these trips. He's having a good time with it. But then one day, sadly, he's diagnosed with Parkinson's Ooh. and he can no longer ride. Oh. So what he does is he puts this motorcycle under a tarp in Saskatchewan, and there it sat for seven years. Uh, winter, summer, seven years it sat there just rotting. Mice were in it, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. And um, I was sitting with my dad in the hospital, and um, his ability to communicate was dwindling oh. very rapidly. And one of the last things that I was able to communicate to him was I said, Dad, I took the tarp off the motorcycle, and I'm starting to rebuild it. How do you feel about that? And the last thing he basically said to me was, yeah, he was happy about that. Oh, great. That's fantastic. So, oh, man, yeah. that's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. So but I want to take that motorcycle and destroy it. Well, <laughs> maybe South America. just maybe just uh, just off the top of my head, I'm just thinking maybe you might want to try maybe a couple local trips first with it. Oh, I've already taken it to California twice. Oh, really? Have you? Yeah. In fact, that was the bike that I just came back from California on. And it was it's okay. Been- well, I had the engine redone last year. I didn't do it. I, I outsourced that. Oh, and okay. uh, we did the clutch, me and my friend, and, you know, a few of the obvious things. Yeah. Um, so it is getting more and more reliable. Okay. So oh, great. I've been working on it now for three years. Yeah. And it's been to California two or three times, and it's been to Arizona once. So okay. it's put on a lot of miles. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's so I want to take it to Argentina. <laughs> Well, you're a braver man than I, that's for sure. <laughs> wow, well, I'm just ignorant, I think. I mean, I would of... I would love to do a trip like that, but certainly not on that bike. <laughs> yeah, it is heavy and it but it's super powerful. Like it loves California. It screams through those corners. Right. Unfortunately, it drags the muffler every time like a <laughs> corner really hard, but it's not a performance machine per se, but it's got a 
it's got a power plant on it. And you think it'll hold up? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the roads aren't going to be as smooth through the yeah. Argentina in that area. Well, you you can pick smooth roads. I think yeah. through most of well through Central America for sure. Yeah. Through South America, it gets a little bit tougher, but yeah, you can pick smooth smooth roads. And also, I do drive this thing on gravel. It just doesn't oh. handle very well. <laughs> no, now it's not that, one one thing that I want to see is that you're talking about this trip to Argentina. At, yeah. at any point. During your trip going down to Central America, were you concerned about your safety at all, or was that even a thought? Uh, it was a thought, but um, it was one that was quickly dismissed. Oh, okay. You know, the more that the more that I've traveled, the more I realized that the, right. the world is basically a good place, and it's basically safe. Um, there, there are problems that you can encounter, of course, sure. and we, we hear about those a lot, but we seldom hear about the trips that went really well and nothing bad happened. So before I set off on the trip, I did go and print out all the, like, country warnings yeah. uh, for the area yeah. and they were dire like they basically said don't go to central america you'll be killed <laughs> um yeah but no we had a we had a great time oh, great. there was one moment where trevor and i were walking and this was again was in mexico we were walking so our bikes were parked we were going to the beach it was nighttime and uh, we walked past these three guys they were under like the only street light right. on the road okay we walked past them they kind of turned to follow us a little bit and me and Trevor had a short conversation. We said, I don't feel right about this. And he went, I agree. And neither one of us is prone to um, irrational fear. Neither one of us suffers from paranoia, right? We've all tra- we've traveled a bit. And this was the first time that had ever happened to us, where oh, we wow. both went, nope, something's not right. Yeah. So we, we turned around. We walked past these same guys. And we went back to our hotel. Oh. And, you know. Maybe we were being paranoid, or maybe our, our instincts failed us, or maybe something bad was about to happen, and we just listened to our guts. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, when, when all else fails, be cautious, right? Yeah. So now, through dust and darkness, this mm. was a totally different journey. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what inspired you to do it? So through dust and darkness is a journey that I did with another KLR650. Uh, <laughs> I shipped it from Canada to Germany. And then from there, I went through the Middle East and North Africa. So I went from Germany down into Greece, Turkey, and then into Iran, Syria, Lebanon. And then I carried on through um, you know, Egypt and Libya, Tunisia. Oh, wow. Now, what, yeah. year, what year did you do that trip? That was 2007, uh, and I came back in 2008. So that trip was seven months long. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Now, excluding the obvious. Mm-hmm. All right. In what ways is this, did this trip differ from the first one? Like sort of goes with the, uh, the riding, and the people, the destinations, the roads, and all that. Um, well, if I'm excluding the obvious, that's, that's pretty tough because it, it's very, very vastly different from Central and South America. Okay. Um, I went by myself. That was the biggest difference. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, on this trip with Trevor, the one that spawned motorcycle therapy, I kind of realized that um, – Finding a travel partner for me is almost impossible because I'm almost impossible to travel with. <laughs> so I figured traveling solo is the way to go for me. Oh, okay. Um, and it's got pros and cons, of course, but I went by myself. Um, and apart from that, yeah, everything was different. The The cultures are it, – it's interesting to go from Europe to the Middle East because you can definitely see the transition happening. Yeah. It happens like from European culture, which we understand. Mm-hmm. Um, the languages are different and whatnot, but then it gets a little bit of a Middle Eastern flavor mm-hmm. somewhere in Albania sometimes even. Mm-hmm. That's where I heard the first call to prayer was in Albania. 
uh, and then, you know, Greece and Turkey. And Turkey's kind of got one foot in Europe, one foot in the Middle East. Right. So it's kind of like Middle East light almost. <laughs> <laughs> Middle East light? <laughs> yeah. And then once you get into the Middle East, um, you know, once you're in Syria and and Iran and, uh, and all these countries, um, it, it's fascinating to see. Like there's not really much European influence there at all. All right. So seven months you're on a road roughly mm-hmm. and you pass through – half a dozen or more countries right just mm-hmm. okay um now as i as i understand it through i haven't read again i haven't read the book yet but mm-hmm. this was sort of a uh a, this trip kind of brought you on a spiritual revelation of some sort is that correct well yes and no um i grew up in a very fundamental uh mennonite home christian home yeah and um so I say in the book that I was given the answers before I was given any questions. And when I began to mature as an individual, um, I began questioning what I had been given as a foundation yeah. and asked myself a lot of questions about, well, this has always been assumed, but how do we reach this conclusion, etc. I began looking at religion a little bit more critically, especially my own. So what I wanted to do was go look at the entire ball of wax from a totally different vantage point. So with fresh eyes, uh, I chose Iran because it was uh, it is a theocracy. So that they actually claim that their ruler of the country is God. Oh, oh <laughs> uh, which okay. strikes me as interesting. Like, I mean, how does the paperwork get done, et cetera, et cetera? <laughs> and I was having trouble with visas, so. Yeah, oh. um, yeah, and so that was basically the impetus for the trip was to just look at religion um, from a different vantage point. And uh, also George W. Bush at this time was threatening uh, Iran with violence, right. um, possibly even going in bombing it. And I thought, well, I want to see Iran before that happens. Yeah. So that's kind of where I went. Oh, all right. Now, and, and then on the journey, like, I don't know, revelation is maybe a little bit strong of a word. I, I became a little bit more accepting, I think, uh, a little bit more critical of um, presuppositions that I was that I had. Okay. I became more aware of them, I think. Okay. So what did I learn? I think I learned to be uh, a little bit more humble huh? when it comes to my own opinions about anything, and oh. that includes religion, mm-hmm. politics. Uh, I think humility for me means being able to say, I could be wrong. No, oh, okay. <laughs> I yeah. I believe this and I yeah. think this, yeah. but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Wow. And I think that was the thing that I, I walked away with on this trip. Oh, wow. And now wow, getting back so to So it's not so it's not a pro religion, it's right. not an anti religion book. It's just my experiences and what I observed on the road. So because you, in the in the Middle East you cannot avoid religion. It oh, is of all not. around no. you. So you experienced what one might say is enlightenment. I think so. I hope so. I hope okay. so. All right. Now, now you. I'm sure you came, all the cultures that you passed through on this mm. trip, mm. you've met all kinds of people there. What was their reaction to what you were doing? It was always positive. Um, the only place, yeah. You know, again, the more you travel, the more you find that people are warm and inviting and oh. hospitable and friendly. Mm. And um, it was... It was one of fascination because when you're traveling on a motorcycle, you stop at places that the tour buses don't stop. Right. So you need gas. 
you yeah. pull over at this little like place with chickens running around and <laughs> and like they pour gas out of a plastic pail right into your and that's not set up for a german tour bus no <laughs> no so you get a lot of people uh that are very curious about who you are and yeah and what your story is, mm -hmm. and they can't always communicate with you very well, or you, or I can't communicate with them, I should say, I'm in their country, but um, yeah, fascination is all around. Yeah, wow, I, I, I have to, did you experience, now, I, I saw, I'm sure you did, you saw a long way around uh, the Ewan McGregor or Charlie Borman thing, now, yeah. I, was there, did you experience many of the things that they did where people were so open with you that they wanted to bring you into their homes and feed you and all yep. of that? Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. That wasn't, uh, that definitely was not a, um, a reaction to, to you and Charlie because they were somewhat famous. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a reaction to them because they were travelers mm -hmm. and, uh, the Middle Eastern culture is very giving and very supportive of travelers. Um, pilgrims and you, you take people in and, and you give them what you can oh. so we, ex we experienced that a lot or i did oh yeah now, yeah. what would so during that whole trip did what, did you have any concerns or was there a biggest concern or something you were concerned about on that no i was mostly concerned about paperwork uh, to be honest this was before the so-called arab spring okay. uh, before tunisia kicked off and then libya etc etc so it was still relatively peaceful, although you could feel a uh, very real tension in yeah. Syria. Um, and, and I'd traveled in the Middle East before. Like, this was not my first trip to the Middle East. Right. Um, it was the first one with a motorcycle. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I knew that there were definite police states and mm -hmm. some, some brutality going on between, you know, governments and, and their dissidents and whatnot. But, I, but no, I didn't feel any danger. No, so but, you know, again, I, I, I've many of many of these uh, books that I've read and listened to. It, there's one common denominator that I'm coming across is the massive amounts and piles of bureaucracy and paperwork that you have oh, yeah. to go through. I, and you would think that that would somehow eventually straighten itself out. No, no, there is so much paperwork to do to cross every border. I remember crossing, so I tried to cross from Turkey into Syria. I did not have a visa, and all the forums online said you can't do it. Um, but I met travelers that said you could. So I tried making this little crossing, um, and it was a very obscure crossing. And I went into this room mm -hmm. that had men in there in green suits. This is on the Syrian side, smoking cigarettes and getting information off of me. But they were writing it on these little white cards. And they were writing very carefully, very neatly, and then they were filing them in these drawers. But the drawers were um, probably three feet deep, and they went from the, from the floor right to the ceiling. It was like the scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where wow. they finally get the Ark and they put that thing <laughs> into storage. Yeah. All of that information, guaranteed, is gone. Now, did you have, like, to, ha did you have to have a carnet? I did. For the Middle East, I did. Yeah. You did. Wow. Well, there again, it's debatable. Probably I could have got away with no carne, but it made my life a lot easier. So okay. I, just, I just used one. And you had to catalog everything you had on you? Uh, nope. I just did that for the motorcycle. And everything else I figured I could lose. Um, like I had an expensive camera and I had a few other things like this, but um, they never asked about it. Oh, okay. Uh, just, now, just the bike. Okay. Now, you now, was this the same KLR that you used in, for the Central America trip? No, uh, which is funny because it should have been. So, like I say, I, I buy and sell KLRs. I don't get attached to them. 
Um, so I sold That's... the one from the Panama trip, and then I bought one exactly the same make, model, and year as that one. <laughs> I took that one. Well, you know, I hope that you got a good dollar for it because, hey, this is part of the. Now, did you sell this before or after you wrote the book? Um, I sold it. That's a good question. I sold it while I was writing the book. Oh, see, now you should have waited until after you sold the book and then you could have got more money for it. Yeah, I don't know that that's true, but maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, motorcycle therapy is literally a Canadian bestseller, which means I've sold more than five copies here. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm not uh, yet of the ranks where I can, you know, trade on my name. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> why didn't you keep the bike? That It had to go to the Middle East with you. Yeah, why didn't I keep the bike? Uh, because it had a dead battery. <laughs> <laughs> so if it ran out of gas, you would have sold it too, right? <laughs> yep. No, I, I actually do regret selling that bike, and I know where it is. I could still find it. Um, I know the guy that I like, the guy that I sold it to lives a few villages down from me or whatever. Right. Um, but then I bought the one for the Middle East, which happened to be a lemon. So it was like I love the KLR, but this particular one was a total dud. Oh. Uh, had problems with it from start to finish. <laughs> but you had your hammer and duct tape, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I I am so disappointed that you didn't keep the first one. I am a little bit with, too. Yeah. yeah. Now that I hear it, I hear myself talking about it. I am a little bit disappointed. Oh. But the second one that was a lemon yeah. provided so much comedy in the oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, in through <laughs> dust and darkness. So yeah, kind of oh. worked out. All right. All right. Now, uh, of both of the journeys that you did, um, uh, the one through the Central American, of course, through the Middle Ooh. East. Uh, was, was there any one thing of all those trips that you want to do again? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I would love to repeat both of those trips. They were... Really? You know, you can never go back. You can't stand in the same river twice and all that. But right. um, Iran blew my mind. I would really? go back to Iran in a heartbeat. Uh there again, you just rave about the people and the architecture, uh, these yeah. old these old ruins that are still in really good shape, actually. Yeah. And um, I would go to visit Iran. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Now this time you'll do you'll you'll repeat it again. This time with Trevor in the Middle East. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, Trevor? Okay, so Trevor is married. He has a lovely family with okay. some some young children. Uh, he's a committed father and. And uh, he's a firefighter, so I don't think he's going to be joining me on any crazy motorcycle adventures <laughs> okay. anymore. So, and also, we live in different provinces. So, like, he lives uh, in Manitoba. I live in Alberta, okay. which is like um, if I lived in uh, Idaho and you lived in, like, Michigan. Oh, so well, we're not super close to each other. Yeah, that's just, you know, that's a run for bread. That's what it is. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> well, when you're ready to go, give me a call. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, look, any advice for anybody who wants to do a Jeremy Craker trip? Oh, first of all, don't, don't do a trip like me. Uh, I would say do your own trip, um, but but do it. So a lot of people get caught up in the planning stages. Yeah. And planning is important. Like, I'm definitely an example of a person who underplans. So no. you should probably do a little bit of research. But... Some people do too much and you can actually scare yourself out of going or you can feel like this trip is too big and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, that's a stumbling block, I think. So the hardest thing is to actually get rolling. Once you're on the road, 
I say people say to people, um, things will either uh, fall fall into place or they'll fall apart. Yeah. But either way, it's going to be an adventure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, is there any place do you want to go yet? Well, like I say, I still do want to take that 82 Honda to Argentina um, <laughs> and back. It's hopefully bad, back. It's such a bad idea. I know, it's a bad <laughs> idea, but I want to do it. And um, You need to do it on another KLR is what you got to do. Oh, I got it. Buy the first KLR back and do it on that one. Ooh, that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> no, but if I do that Argentina trip, it'll be on this 82 Honda, and this, the story of the bike itself is almost as fascinating as any journey that I could take oh, on. Oh, sure, so. absolutely, yes. And, yeah, no, I want to – there's almost no place that I don't want to go. Okay. I would go back to Syria. Okay. Uh, right now, obviously, it's incredibly dangerous. I have gone back mm-hmm. since um, – the fighting started. I went back and did a little bit of work as a freelance journalist for okay. the Toronto Star. Oh, good for you. Awesome. I, I would love to go back there. It, it's it's really breaking my heart to see what's going on with that country right now yeah. and the whole region. And, of course, we don't hear, you know, at, at, the, at the risk of, you know, bringing politics into the show, which we are absolutely totally against <laughs> on the show. Um, it, it's just a shame because, you know, this spoils it for everybody. You yeah. Know? You know, the, well, it, for people who want to do these kind of adventures like this, you know, we only hear what we are told. And if you just go true. by the media, uh, the, you know, the uh, television media and print media, you know, naturally you're going to just you're only going to hear what they tell you. So, yeah, it's true. And, that, and that's that certainly scares a lot of people off from doing things. But then when you hear from people like like yourself, uh, you know, your Charlie Borms and your McGregor's and like like, like Sam Manicom, for example, uh, even Ted Simon, it's a totally different story that you hear. Mm-hmm. And it certainly makes me want to say, you know what? Hey, screw what I hear on the radio and the TV. Let's just go do this. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you have to take some precautions. And if you hear from everybody that a certain place is dangerous, that may have some some point to it. But I mean... All the, the the people are talking about the danger in Mexico right now, yeah. and I would just say, well, don't join a drug cartel. <laughs> yeah, like, you're right. <laughs> don't do that. But no. otherwise, you should probably be okay in Mexico. And here, I've got to wag my finger a little bit at you, uh-huh. Ted. Okay. Uh, you you mentioned Ted Simon I, and sorry. his and his brilliant book Jupiter's Travels. Yes. But you, you didn't read it very highly. You know, <laughs> at, the, at the at the time when I when I was first when I first listened to it. I, I, I was oh there's I was, the problem yeah he, he didn't read it so he had there was a narrator right so yeah, there was a narrator and, and, and yeah. the narration kind of put me off and okay. that I loved the story I loved okay. the whole thing the narration annoyed me and okay. that's probably yeah. that's that's what kind of like yes I did give it a not really a great <laughs> review I'll admit but the oh, story I itself through, was, I went through all the reviews yeah you also gave uh, a surprisingly poor review to Robert Persig's masterpiece. Oh, I so hated that book. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I can see where you're coming from on that one because yeah. it's a difficult read. It, um, uh, extremely. Uh, you think it's difficult to read it? Try listening to it. Oh, no. I don't know if I could. <laughs> so uh, the first time that I ever read that book was on the trip with Trevor. Oh, no uh, kidding. Yep. So I, I found a copy at a hostel and I started reading it. And yeah, I almost stopped reading it like a number of times, but I plowed through. Yeah. And um, I thought, ah, it's okay. But then I gave it a second chance, and I read it again, and I I love it now. It's one I, of my favorite books. I think that book is what made that trip difficult for you. 
<laughs> that's okay. You know, uh, so here we'll have to agree to disagree. But... Okay, that's, that's okay. You know, and, and maybe at some point I will give it another try. Okay. Okay. <laughs> at some point I will. Uh, there was a similar book. Um, I got, perhaps you may have seen it in my reviews. Um, uh, what, what was it? Shop work as craft work, craft work as whatever. I can't remember now, right. but it gave me the same feel. And, <laughs> and I think I only gave it a good review because the guy said the F word a couple times. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell me what's next for Jeremy. I think you've already told that you're going to head. You want, you want to head to Argentina. Yeah. Um, whether or not that's going to happen in the immediate future, I'm not entirely sure. I've got a few micro adventures planned. Micro? Um, micro. Yeah. Like small, short ones. Little, little mini ones. Yeah. Like okay. I went to uh, Columbia in April and I spent a month there, or sorry, a couple of weeks there riding yeah. motorcycles with um, a tour company. Uh, I got, um, pretty I got pretty a, modest adventure, but it was fun. I have um, I have a, a little clue for you. Is That's not really a short trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my perspective is a little bit skewed. I am willing to admit that. <laughs> now, for instance, I might take the entire month of February off and go riding motorcycles in Ethiopia, but that's not for sure. Oh no, uh, no. That we'll have to wait and see if that. When you say a short trip, what do you mean a short trip? Well, like when I went to California, uh, that was a great trip, but it was short. I mean, I feel like you only really get into a trip at the three month mark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is just about the time you're getting ready to turn around and come home. Right? Yeah. That's, 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 that's the point where your mind just says, okay, I've had enough. Right? Yeah. But no, I, I don't actually have any uh, trips planned in the immediate future, but as uh, you know, looking back at the way I've done things in the past, it could be that in six weeks from now, I'll be somewhere <laughs> just looking at a map, trying yeah. to figure out where I am. Have you been up into Alaska at all? Just this summer oh, for the yeah. very first time. Yeah. The very you, first time. Yep. And you rode up there, right? Yeah. Took a KLR. KLR 250. <laughs> no, stop. Really? Oh, yeah. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. You're pulling my leg. So we went. Uh, it was actually it was for a friend. So my friend Neville Stowe, whom you should have on the show, actually. He's uh, he's the curator of a little motorcycle film festival. Oh, okay. Anyway, you should look into Neville Stowe and the Nine Minute Moto Film Festival. But anyway, nine minute motor. Okay. Yep. I, I got to write this down. <laughs> the website I think is not, is nine, like the number nine. Okay. M M F F dot com. Okay. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Anyway. So again, somewhat tragically, Neville's brother passed away last year. Oh dear. And he was supposed to go on a ride with Neville to Alaska. So and obviously that didn't happen. Instead, this turned into a memorial ride for Neville's brother. So uh, myself, Neville, uh, Neville's cousin, and another gentleman from town here named Dave Booth, uh, we took our bikes and we went camping and we spent three weeks going up to, um, into Alaska, top of the world highway, and then up to uh, Coldfoot. So we went just north of the Arctic Circle. I was just going to ask you that you did go into the Arctic Circle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And it was, it was great. Yeah. Now, have you done have you done any trips around the U.S. like East Coast, West Coast type of thing? Have you done that? Mostly West Coast. I've done, like I said, I've gone to California uh, with my motorcycle five times, uh, three with the old one, the old clunker, mm-hmm. um, and I've gone to Flagstaff and I've gone through Utah. Like I've done a fair bit in the North West. I haven't okay. done much in the East. No, oh, come on, come East. I know I should. I used to be a truck driver uh, oh. back in the day, <laughs> back and in so the I've day. seen. I've seen the industrial areas of most yeah. places in the East Coast. Yeah. There's a lot nicer places than the industrial areas. So what you well, got to 
You got to do what they call a, I think they call it a four corners ride. I've you heard ride of this. to all four corners of the U.S. Yeah. And you got to make your way down to Key West. Okay. That is a beautiful, beautiful ride. You really? Get to see beautiful, you know, turquoise water on both sides of you as you're going down to the Keys. Ah, absolutely oh, gorgeous. Wow. There you go. That's going to be, I, well, that's, that's a micro trip. That's for you. It's you a micro trip, right? Well, okay. So two years ago, I rented a motorcycle in Florida. Oh, you did? Yeah. I rode for like eight hours. That's it. That's all the time I had. Okay. But, uh, so I rented a Harley and I was riding along with no helmet and everything. Very bad. <laughs> Very bad. Bad safety guy, but it was, it was fun. Oh, there you go. See, it was my therapy because my mom forced me to go to Disney World. I'm a 43 year old so? single man. Going to Disney World with my mom, my brother, and uh-huh. his son. Yeah, <laughs> we and? spent Christmas there, and I was like, "I am going insane. <laughs> well, I need a motorcycle, and I need it right now." If it's any consolation, in 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 a week and a half, I will be doing the Disney thing with the grandkids. Okay. So <laughs> that's different. See, well, when, I don't know. <laughs> when you're there with kids that yeah. belong to you, that's that's different. I'm but... going to have more fun than they are. <laughs> I'll bet you will. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to rent a motorcycle while I'm down there. No. I, I tried to tried to squeeze that in, but I got no. So. Yeah, there's only so much you can do, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I suppose. So anything else you want to help close with for the show? Anything you want to throw at us? No. Or? Well, okay. I should probably. Um... Tell us how can people can check you out on the oh, okay. Facebook, yeah. on your website, uh, where we can read your books. Well, tell us. You got that third book also. That's tell, right. Tell, tell us a little bit about that before we uh Okay, so Motorcycle Messengers, it's a collection of short stories from different writers. So I'm the editor, I'm the publisher, Uh, my publishing company is, Mm -hmm. um, and it's got stories in there from all kinds of different people. Sam Manicum has a story in there. Oh, okay. Ted Simon wrote the foreword. Okay. Uh, Have you heard of a band called Rush? (laughs) Yeah, they're this little outfit out of uh, Canada, I believe. They're a little little Canadian band. A little Uh, Canadian band. The the drummer, Neil Peart, he's got a story in there as well. Love his stuff. I've I've listened, read every one of his books. Okay. Amazing. So this is why I put Motorcycle Messengers together was because it's a sample pack of travel riders. All motorcycles, lowest price. It's about a 50-50 split, male-female. Okay. So you can kind of read these stories and go... Yeah, I like the way this person writes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find their books, okay. and there's information as how you can find them and things like that. So that's my newest project, and I think I'm going to do a volume two of that one. Oh, excellent, excellent! Yeah. And I guess everybody can get that on uh, Amazon, of course. It's on. It's everywhere. Yep, nice. Amazon. You can also purchase directly from my website, which is just motorcycletherapy.com. Okay. But um, yeah, you can get all the books. Uh, Motorcycle therapy is an audio book as well, as you know. Okay. Uh, I, I want you to know, I have to tell you this up front. I've been bastardizing your name for the past month. I've Everyone been, does. I've it's been okay. pronouncing it absolutely incorrectly. And Jonathan, like, you've been pronouncing it Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pronouncing it Croker, and I know yeah. that's wrong. And I realized, I was like, oh, my God, I've been saying his name wrong. So No, that's all right. Jeremy Craker. It's uh, Craker. And no, you don't have a com, right? No. Yeah, Jeremy. It, you it, do. Just, it goes to the same place. Oh, okay. All right. And you've so got you course, in, your Facebook page, of course. Yep. Oh, and also I should probably um, do a pitch for the Hollow Affirmation Store, which I call uh, Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's just Jeremy yeah. underscore Craker. Okay. Dot com. That's or, K-R-O-E-K-E-R. Yeah, that's right. You know, don't don't spell it phonetically. Otherwise, you'll just you're going to get some, you know, some 
therapist out in uh, Minnesota or something, right? <laughs> well, it's funny because my mom and dad moved to Saskatchewan when I was young-ish. And uh, back home, they were always known as Crakers. They moved to Saskatchewan and they got so tired of correcting people that my mom and dad switched to Croker. No kidding. <laughs> but me and my brother, we stuck to our guns. We're like, no, we're Crakers. <laughs> and and just this summer, I moved my mom uh, back to her hometown in Manitoba because my, my father passed away, as you know. Right. And so we moved her back to Steinbeck, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And now she goes by Craker again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, listen, I want to thank you very much for, for uh, joining me on the show. And uh, we'll have this uh, podcast up for everybody to listen to very shortly. And I'll even send you a copy of it so you can put it on your website or talk about it or yell at it. And give me negative reviews if you want. So. I appreciate it. No, I mean, this is all good. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Um, again, Jeremy, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, and it's Jeremy Craker, uh, author of um, uh, Motorcycle Therapy and uh, now Through Dust and Darkness. All right. Thank you very much for joining me, Jeremy. Thank you. Thanks all for right. having me. It was a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And there you go. That was Jeremy Craker here on the Motorcycle Men podcast. That was fantastic. I had a great time. Jeremy's what a great guy he is. Um, so go to his website again. Check that out, uh, MotorcycleTherapy.com. And also you can also check him out on Facebook. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking to him. And uh, we'll, uh, I guess that'll be it. We'll be hooking up with Tim and Chris again next week. Uh, and next week, who do we got on the schedule for next week? Let me check real quick. I as you can tell, I'm always, as usual, I'm not prepared. But next week, we're going to have Glenn DuPont. Uh, he's our friend who is with uh, Spot Trace and a Spot Tracker. And he uh, he was on the show not too long ago, actually. Uh, and he's going to be on with us next week. And the following week, I will not be here, so we're not going to have a podcast the following week. But then we'll be back again November 1st. We're going to have the Fashionista on the show. That's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. And what else we got going on? That is it for now. Uh, so this is Ted saying goodbye to you from the V-Twin Cafe here in sunny downtown Cranford, New Jersey, where it's always 72 and sunny. I am Ted. You all take care. Ride safe and pay attention out there now. Bye-bye. Please consider subscribing to the podcast via Patreon. There's a link to our Patreon page on our homepage of the website. With your support, we can improve the podcast and add more content that only you, our subscribers, will have access to. That includes more audio, video, and live streaming of the show. For more information about the Motorcycle Men, visit our website at MotorcycleMen.us. There you can join our mailing list or leave a comment and maybe give us some feedback. You know we always welcome your thoughts. If you would like to email the Motorcycle Men directly, email to motomenpc at gmail.com. Please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash motorcyclemenpodcast. Our Twitter page is twitter.com slash motorcyclemen. You can also now hear all of our episodes on YouTube. Just search for Motorcycle Men Podcast. And if you'd like to talk to us and tell us about your ride or just give us some comments, you can do that via Skype. Our Skype name is MotomenPC. And if you find yourself doing nothing on a Tuesday night between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, check in with us and we'll make you part of the show. And if you're a good guest, we might just send you some stuff.